Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Hello, good evening. Welcome to Eyewitness News coming to you live from our studios here at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Salom Adunu and tonight I'm here with Nashika Caesar. Coming up over the next 90 minutes, nice official President Akufuado accepts resignation of Alan Chermantin as Trace Minister and gives Kenneth Foyata the additional responsibility as caretaker Trace Minister. We'll bring you the various angles to Alan Chermantin's resignation tonight. Also coming up. We had a meeting on Wednesday, the minister did take a few and all that they told us was that they are here to uh, resolve the issues, so we should give them more time. In other fact, members were not pleased. College of Education Teachers Association of Ghana, CTAG, resumes strike over their conditions of service. They say their employers have never been serious about resolving the issues that led them to uh, go on strike in the first place also on eyewitness news effective today all air travelers arriving from china must present a negative pcr covid 19 test result not later than 48 hours before departure they are also to undergo another test on arrival at the kutuka international airport at no cost stay with 97.3 city fm for more on this and other stories on eyewitness news and in business Ghana Union of Traders Association Guta saddened by the resignation of Trades Minister Alan Koju Tremartin. There is more business news in 50 minutes. Eyewitness News is live across the country on all our affiliates and around the globe at citynewsroom.com. Your comments are welcome via our WhatsApp line 0549-986-996. You can follow me on Twitter at Salom. I don't know the hashtag as always is... Uh, city newsroom now to our very first story the trace minister um, alan kodu chamanting has resigned uh, from his position sources close to the minister confirmed that the minister tendered uh, in his re- resignation letter to president akufado yesterday and indeed the president has indicated his acceptance of same although it is unclear while why the minister resigned after serving in the portfolio since 2017 it is believed that he took the decision to enable him properly focus on his presidential ambition uh, my colleague sami Wiafi, who is our presidential affairs correspondent uh he's been nosing around the presidency and he joins me in the studio to help us appreciate uh, the matters uh, 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 properly hello uh, sami welcome to eyewitness News. thank you very much Salam. good evening what, yes what is the latest in, in what the latest on this we understand the president has spoken in respect of the Alan Chamantin resignation. What can you tell us? A statement from the office of the president and signed by the director of communications at the Jubilee House, Eugene Hayes, says the president of the Republic, Nana Adodanko Kufado, on Friday, 7th January 2023, accepted the resignation from office Mr. Alan Kojo Chamantin as Minister for Trade and Industry. This was after Mr. Chamantin on Thursday, 5th January. 2023 informed the president personally of his decision to resign and subsequently submitted his letter of resignations to him. Now, President Okufaru thanked Mr. Chermati for his service, his services to his government and to the country, 
and wished him well in his future endeavors. The president has asked the finance minister Ken Oforiata to act as caretaker minister at the Ministry of Trade and Industry until a new minister is appointed. Signed, Eugene Director of Communications Office of the President. Very well. So, so that is what the, the presidency has said in respect of Alan's resignation. Indeed, that has been accepted. But you have been at the Jubilee House. Uh, what's really the mood in the house? How are they taking, I mean, the, the, the ministers, the other workers at the place, the top hierarchy, how are they taking the resignation of Alan? It's not really surprising for them because they they knew that there was going to come a time where Mr. Chermantin was going to resign to focus on his presidential ambition. The conversation for Mr. Chermantin to resign started not uh, just yesterday or today. It started during the Christmas festivity till the New Year when uh, he officially met the president and told him that indeed he wanted to step down and focus on his ambition. The president asked him to hold on for a while whilst uh, we enter the new year so that he can focus on one or two things. So yesterday, my understanding is that uh, it was a marathon meeting between the president and Mr. Alan Tremontaine. Uh, I ran deep into the night and then uh, the president finally accepted uh, Mr. Tremontaine's recognition and then the reasons why he felt it was time for him to bow out of the, the, the government. So the president uh, officially accepted and today there's a statement officially confirming uh, why the president or is letting Mr. Lentremantin go. Remember, um, not just Mr. Tremantin, who is likely to rem to resign, uh, quite a number of ministers are to follow. Uh, I'm picking information that is likely the Greek minister, Dr. Akutu Efie, may, may also resign in the coming days or weeks because he's also declared his ambition to run for the presidency after Nana Kufado uh, leaves the scene uh, I mean, ahead of the 2024 uh, general election. So uh, the information I'm also picking is that there's a possibility of a reshuffle mm. in the later part of this month. So the president is asking or uh, people who have presidential ambition are all leaving the scene so they don't more or less cause a disruption to the administration of Akufado so they can focus on their presidential ambition whilst the government of the day also runs. But, but, but really, apart from the agric minister, um, who, who else in the pres in the president's team is, is, is seeking to replace him as leader of the party and president of the nation? As, who else is there? Aside Alain Chamante and um, the Greek minister. minister who are in government. Mm -hmm. Those are the two people yes. who are in government who really want to mm. succeed the president. But then outside the government, yes. there are other individuals who have also declared their bid uh, to, to, to lead the MPP. Recently, the member of parliament for the Asin Central mm -hmm. constituency, um, Kennedy Japan, has been making the rounds that he wants to lead the MPP. Adainimo, former MP for Mampon, has also declared that he wants to mm. run a leadership challenge again. We've also had Kwabneje Japan Mm -hmm. We've seen his billboards across the country also are uh, testing waters and declaring that he may run for this. Jogate, Jogate, a former uh, railway minister, has also declared his intention to run. And the sitting vice president of the republic uh, has also, not personally, but then people around him have one way or the other said that he's nursing the ambition of uh, succeeding uh, the president after the 2020 uh, after uh, his tenure ends in 2025 so he will lead the mpp 
into the 2024 uh, general election. So these are the individuals mm. who have so far, so far declared intent of leading the MPP. Um, the party uh, during the Christmas season held um, a national council meeting, the second highest decision-making body of the party, where uh, there, there are reports or there were reports that the party has set a date mm. for uh, um, presidential primaries later part of this year, which is November, uh, where they will elect a new leader who will lead the party into the general election. Though they have come out to say that they the dates are just proposal. They they are yet to uh, firm up with the dates. They believe that when that particular date comes out, um, persons who have declared all intent to lead the party will also come out and show their face. I I see that quite interesting. But of course, all the a lot of the guys who who are who were gunning or are gunning to to replace the president as leader of the party and subsequently president, you know, I've always shied away from accepting that indeed that's what yeah. they are doing we yeah. saw that in alan's case yeah. in fact we don't actually even know you know that that's exactly what he's going to do even though our sources tell us so the vice president we know he has a team around the country doing all sorts of things to win people but he's still not been able to say that he wants to run for it for obvious reasons now alan is moved out so the understanding is that he's moving out to focus on his presidential campaign what does that bring to the race his resignation i mean showing his hand now that he's stepping out possibly to focus on the race what does that bring to the race it, it means that he'll have more time to meet the delegates as they call it who are going to uh who are considered as kingmakers when it comes to the mpp so now it's going to give him more time we will not have um, government activities you know keeping him in the office a lot of that so now he will be in undergrounds to meet the various delegates and also meet the people who are supposed to cast their ballot when it comes to this election. It then means that the race is, is become open. Now people are throwing in their hats. Now it's not just Alan Chamanti alone. Um before Alan resigned, um Salom, we had Kennedy Japan going almost to places in the country. He's been touring the entire country, you know, telling people why he wants to be mm -hmm. the new presidential candidate of the MPP. And he's not hidden that. Mm -hmm. We've seen his giant billboards in, in, town. in town, not only in Accra, other parts of the country, mm -hmm. you see his billboards. So he has already declared. Recently, I saw one at the 37 military hospital, yes, yes. a giant and one, announcing, announcing that he's going to be run for the president. So with Allah's resignation, it now opens the race mm. that indeed, yes, I am going to run for the presidency and the others who also have interest are going to follow suit. So, so Alan is a serial contestant. He's, con he's, con he's contested Anado a few times in 2017 and two other times, I think. I mean, in fact, in all the primaries since 2007, Alan Chermantin is featured apart from uh, when the president was, was president for obvious reasons. What does this particular race mean for him? How sure is he that this time around things will work out for him? Because apart from the 2007 race, he's performed quite abysmally against Nanado. And I, I don't know how he fancies his chances this time around. What has his, uh, his team members or what have the team members been, been, been saying? So for, for the camp of Alan Chermartin, they believe this particular uh, uh, um, race will be his last bet, if there's anything like that. Because from 2007, as you mentioned, 2010, 2014, all losing to Akofado. And now he believes that the, the gentleman or the candidate who is always beating him is not contesting again. This time around, is a new face who may likely show his face. And he's the old guard. So the MPP has a tradition of 
more or less a convention that you know the the older you are the more you are given opportunity to leave the to lead the mpp remember in 2000 and, uh, and seven, uh, the slogan for Nana Kufado then was Yenimufetete because he's been in the party for long, contested J.A. Kufo in 2008 um, uh, for the 2000 election. And so they thought it was chance for him to also lead the MPP after the 2000, uh, after J.A. Kufo was leaving. How come he, he won the 2007 uh, uh, primary? So uh, supporters of Alan or the people within his camp believe that since he's been there from 2007, 2010, and 2014 now is the best opportunity now is the best time for uh the party to also try alan chemantin to lead them into the 2024 and they believe that he stands a very good chance of uh winning the 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 the, the, the election for the mpp if the party indeed wants to break the eight as as they they, they say but then he will have a tough fight with a certain vice president who many many have said is going to run because today for instance he um uh, commissioned or more or less renovated a mosque in the northern part of the country where he told uh muslims there that they should pray for him as he uh, um, um more or less goes on uh, with his political ambition or trying to lead the party one way or the other. I'm not quoting verbatim, but I'm just trying to summarize what he said that as he tries to rise within the political circle, they should remember him in prayers. And obviously, it gives you a hint that he, he has intention of leading the MPP uh, in the 2024 election. And a lot of people close to him. I remember I interviewed Mr. Fedowari, who happens to work in his, his office right uh, at the moment, and he confirmed to me that uh, the vice president has intention of leading the MPP in the 2024 general election. So it's, it's, it's a two-horse a two race between Mr. Alan Shamati and the vice president, who is yet to publicly come out. But then we all know that he's going to run for, for the presidency. I see. Uh, you know, Alan, Alan supporters, you say, feel that this is... His uh, best chance. His best chance of and winning. Yes. There are people who also think that, okay, of course, Nanado is beating him throughout and quite convincingly. And because Mah Baumia is, is vice president... There's this general thinking that Baumia will be enjoying a certain support incumbency from the, support, incumbency support, a support from the base of um, Nanado, etc. That should come to Alan Chemanti as, as a huge worry because the person who is always beating him, you know, may uh, the new contender may be enjoying the support from that base. You know, is it something that the supporters think about, or is it something that has come up? A lot of MPP supporters, as we speak, Salom, are disgruntled with the current administration, their own, their own government. A lot of them are, are, are disgruntled with regards to how governance uh, has, has gone, how the government is treating them as party uh, supporters. So a lot of them are not happy. And they believe that uh, Dr. Baumia, who happens to be a part of the system, one way or the other, uh, will not uh, more or less do things that you know to your So they are looking for somebody somebody from the outside and they believe the outside person here is mr alan chamati who many who many people believe that he's just a minister of state he's not really in the helm of affairs when it comes to the day-to-day -day administration of the country compared to the vice president who is the number two gentleman of the land who is involved into the day-to-day -day activities 
of the country and of this government. So a lot of party supporters who are disgruntled believe that they will give uh, uh, Mr. Lanchamante rather the chance because they feel he is an outsider, mm. in quotes, an outsider in quotes and not part, really part of the system. A lot of party people are disgruntled. Salam, I go out a lot. We speak to some of these people. We we, we, we speak to them, um, interview them. A lot of people within the party are not really happy with with what is going on. And they feel that if the party gets a new candidate, a new face, it will near to the party's benefit. Well, what is going on for, in terms of what? Is it the, the, the economics? What, 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 what do you mean by what in terms of what's going on? The economic situation is one. Recently, when the party held its Thanksgiving service at the headquarters to thank God for the activities of the party in the 2020, uh, in, the, in the year 2022, some of the speakers who mounted the podium expressed worry how they as party members are being treated by their own party people who are in government and so they they, they feel that you know things have not gone well for them they believe that if they are if their party or their government is in power it should in order to their benefit but they are not seeing these benefits as party members the benefit will be the benefit for all Ghanaians, <laughs> i guess so 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 Sammy, don't go i'll take a quick break i'll i'll, I'll return to you and do some more interviews but as a, a subject of interest really is kenoforata who has been given you know the 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 additional job as you know caretaker trace minister that is quite interesting given his own recent issues with his majority members of parliament but we take a quick break, return and deal with those matters with sami Yafi and a political science analyst don't go away eyewitness news be there as it happens Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. My name is Salom Adonu. I'm here with Nashika Caesar. Uh, the major story for today is that Alan Chermanting has resigned as straight minister. And indeed, the president, about an hour ago, uh, in a statement uh, signed by his director of communications, um, has accepted uh, Alan Chermanting's resignation. And he has also asked the minister for finance, Mr. Kenofurata, to act as caretaker minister at the ministry of trade and industry until a substantive appointment is made this means that kenoforata will be performing an additional role as caretaker trace minister while the president finds uh, alan chermantin's uh, replacement indeed uh, that 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 is quite an interesting one given uh, kenoforata's own recent past with 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 his mps but a few of your messages that have come through uh, Daniel Akpaliok from Sunday Mass says, Kudos to Honorable Anchamantin. He has paid his dues, but his party has fully failed the majority of Ghanaians who repose confidence in them to serve as better. Wishing Alan all the best of luck in his political endeavor. Ayuku Tete um, at Afinia Mataheko says, This is alarming. Ofurata given additional responsibility as trace minister after the substantive appointment is made. Wondering how the 80 ministers are feeling. The man they want out is now getting more roles. Um, Alan in Chantan says Alan K's resignation is legitimate. We wish him well in his future endeavors. Daniel Atia in Dansuma says, Good evening, Salam. Alan has finally jumped out of the sinking ship. 
Well, it won't serve any difference because massive defeat awaits MPP in 2024, God willing. Um, Zalex Duane in London says, of Rata, we are all waiting. We are all waiting to be fired. It's taking uh, more portfolio. It's obvious. Akufuado is practicing a family uh, dynasty, you say. Gasty man in Brekum says, uh, this resignation is long overdue. It's only in Ghana that people resign when they feel to do so when they feel to do so and nothing happens to them uh it's high time the president called uh the spade a spade and sacked the rest who are also eyeing the presidency dramani in koforida says the double job for king ofurata is not fair to Ghanaians. musa ali koni in war says alan has resigned because he wants to focus on his presidential ambition shouldn't the vice also do do so Shouldn't the vice also do this, considering the fact that he's even the chairman of our economic management team? Won't vice president uh, use much of his time on this same ambition? Won't that also affect our economy, especially that we are in a very terrible time? Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Keep your messages uh, coming through. I'll read a few of your tweets uh, that have come on this particular uh, matter and my colleague Sami Biafi is still with me in the studio. Uh, Sami, so it, it appears that um, Alan has resigned, obviously, or maybe to, to focus on, on his campaign. But many have said that, of course, Alan will be running on the record of the president. I don't know what he himself makes of the record and what he himself makes of the times we find ourselves in. Is, is is there anything you pick from his camp? I know people are excited he's resigned so he can focus on the campaign, but he'll be running on the record of the party. So if the party or the government is not doing well, obviously he, he will also be affected. What, what are they saying about that? Well, the information I'm just picking is that uh, Mr. Chamantin is likely to address a press conference either tonight or tomorrow mm -hmm. to um, publicly speak for the first time after his resignation and i'm sure he'll put uh, some of uh, these questions you've asked me uh, out there in the media for mm. people to know really what his next plan or on what uh, record he's going to campaign in the event that he gets to be elected as the the flag of the mpp in the 2024 uh, general election very well let, let me take it let me do a quick interview dr ali dusedu is a political uh, scientist uh, with the university of ghana uh, he joins us on the line for 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 a thought or two on uh, this particular issue. Hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Alan Chamantin has resigned. The president has accepted his resignation. Is will you say his resignation is timely or has been long overdue? Thank you so much, and good evening to your listeners. Yeah, I think uh, we are all assuming that he is going to contest for the black membership position of the MPP, and I think he has not officially or publicly. Uh, made such a declaration. So, until he tells us why he's resigning, it may be very difficult for us to argue that his recognition is timely or not. But if we proceed with the assumptions, with the assumption that he has resigned because he wants to put himself up for the black membership position of the NPP, then we say it is it is timely because. If they are likely going to elect, uh, do maybe likely if there's there are more than five candidates, there's going to be a super delegate to trim it down 
fight. And that's the time that we still don't know how many people have to be to contest, and which, how many people will be themselves up for that contest. So we definitely need Ambosan to be able to, to campaign and manage yourself and then uh, sell your ideas to people that are the delegates who are going to do And Alan is not a new person in terms of uh, general elections in the end. He's widely known. Hello, Doc. It, 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 yes, it, it appears we, we are losing you. I, I'm sure the connection is is not uh, very. The connection is not very decent. Um, maybe we we'll have to reach. Uh, yes, I I think we can proceed on this. Yeah, so go ahead. Okay, okay. So, so the assumption is that if he is going to contest, it will be a good time for him to resign because once it's a government business, it becomes very difficult for him to uh, have a split mind thinking about how to manage, manage your own government business and how to proceed on the campaign. Even though his performance as a sector minister is actually going to help him the most if he's So, in terms of affording his time to focus on his campaign, if he did that what he do, it is a good time. But also, second, once he, he is still in government, the party constitution forbids him from, uh, until the time that the missions are open, from campaigning. So, if he is no longer a minister, you have enough time to be able to travel around the country to be able to make himself a uh, wider known. So, I believe uh, it's, uh, it's the right time. There's no better time than the time that you decide that what you need to do is right for you. And if he thinks this is the right time for him to do it, I think he can proceed on that particular assumption and then make himself more relevant and then uh, gain more traction with 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 uh, uh, government business behind him as a potential platform at the party. I see. So so we are we are all still proceeding on the assumption that you know he he resigned to focus on his presidential ambition and indeed. That assumption, you know, may be very well founded. So, 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 I mean, the race, I mean, we've seen a number of people or we've had a number of names interested in, in, in the, in the position. Uh, Kennedy Japan has not made it a secret. He's been campaigning all over the place with his billboards all over. Uh, Kobna AJ, AJ Pong has also been campaigning. His billboards are all over town. They are Greek minister, hasn't openly declared. But we've seen his billboards insinuating or his billboards suggesting that he wants to run for the position. And he's made one or two comments at places that people interpret that that's what he wants to do. Uh, Boache Jaco has not hidden his ambition. And a few other people, Jogate and, and Adai Nimo and all of those people. Now we have one of the major contenders or people we thought would be a contender, Alan Chemanting, now resigning to uh, presumably focus on his presidential ambition what does that mean to this race now others have, might have taken the lead like Kennedy Japan etc going around meeting people campaigning etc now that a major contender is you know now going to step into it fully what does that bring to the race yeah I think it's going to uh, add up the uh, heat up the momentum for for the uh, the internal primaries within the MPP, uh, I think like I've mentioned earlier, 
uh, Alan is not new to this business. He has contested several times, uh, as far back as the, uh, the primaries that led to the 2008 elections. Uh, and he has set up, he has a lot of uh, grassroots structures since the time that he, he contested. And I think if indeed he, this resignation is for the purposes of the flag bearership position, I think most of the work will be reactivating all structures that were that were put in place and then oiling the wheels to 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 set them in motion for a campaign that is going to be uh, one of the top, toughest in the in the history of the party. So if you look at uh, Honorable Kennedy Japan, he is not a minister of state. He's an MP. So he had the the luxury of time to some extent to be able to move around the country, to be able to uh, uh, engage delegates, and to be able to do uh, all the other candidates that are not in government. Largely, you see them have ample time to be able to do that. But one thing we should realize with this business is that it's not just uh, the matter of uh, maybe being a crowd or putting up big billboards or running that kind of media campaign. I think uh, wanting to lead a party and a country at the end requires substantive structural campaigning. So as a, as a flag bearer, you cannot be everywhere. So what you need to do is to set up an appropriate structure and institutions everywhere in the country that you may be needed so that those institutions and structures can work for you. But it should not just be you, you running a one-man show. So if you are in Kumasi, it means those in Tamil or those in WA will not be able to have access to you. If you are in WA, those in Accra will not. So it's a structural-based thing. And that requires a lot of time and a lot of planning. So you see all those uh, busy uh, signboards, you see those uh, media engagements and all those things moving around. But I think running uh, a presidential election goes beyond just uh, those kind of uh, quick dividend uh, advertisement. It has to do with structure. It has to do with adequate planning. And those kind of plans require so much time that if you're in government, it will, it will, it will stifle those kind of uh, 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 structure. So I think now you see with, with the resignation of uh, Alan, if he is actually doing that to contest, it means he's going to heat up the, the race and, and he's uh, coming on board full time. The campaign is going to actually incentivize uh, his grassroots. You're going to see that element of uh, competitive race. And definitely, if the uh, vice president is also going to put himself up for the position, you tend to see that element of counter uh, messaging, counter campaigning strategies emerging. And all the other uh, candidates who have intention of running will definitely be, be pushed to the, to the wall with the kind of campaign strategies that these two uh, leading contenders are going to put up. So I think this is just the beginning of what is going to pan out. The more heated, more uh, informative-based campaigning. And we're also likely going to see a lot of track record coming up strongly. So it's going to be run on track record. It's going to be run on, on the issue of trust. It's going to be run on the issue of people who have been there for the party, who have suffered for the party, who have served this country, and willing to serve in the more higher position at the presidential level. So I expect that things will heat up gradually if his intention is to contest and he come fully on board. Definitely the actions and strategies he's going to roll up will motivate and incentivize the, maybe the camp of the vice president if he's also interested the camp of Canada and Japan and all the other people who have expressed interest now but have not 
uh, what is it, concretize those particular interests with uh, picking forms and filing. So we're going to see a lot of interesting dynamics ahead. I, I see. The, the vice president is one, like you mentioned, one of the other persons we, we, we strongly suspect is interested in the race, and, and, and rightly so. Now, he cannot just declare his intention. He cannot even, he may not resign as vice president to focus on running for, for president, and he will not declare until the, the nominations are open, like what the rules say. Now, Alan, we, 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 we hope or we know will we'll declare his intentions maybe tonight or tomorrow. Does that disadvantage the vice president in any way, given that he is still focused on the economic management team, is focused on the business of state together with the president doing other things, whilst his major, you know, opponent will be free on the ground meeting people and doing a lot of things? Does that disadvantage him in any way, or he rather tends to benefit from the incumbency advantage? I think it is uh, it is both. He's going to benefit and he's going to be disadvantaged. Because uh, as the vice president of the republic, he will still have so much state responsibility and constitutionally assigned rules to play. And rules that the, the president that he's assisting may, may assign to him. So especially at the time that our economy is going through a lot of crisis, this IMF negotiation and all those things, it requires the full attention of government, especially the vice president, to be able to focus on this. So those uh, state functions and other other responsibilities is going to take his time a little bit from from serious full-time campaigning. But remember I mentioned that presidential campaign is not just about an individual. If his campaign is able to adopt strategies that clone people to, to replicate and sell his messages wherever they are, if they're able to set up institutions across the country, they don't need the vice president to resign or to leave government business and come and campaign. The campaign structure, the clone individuals, and those things are going to speak and work on his behalf, whether he's there or not. But it also comes with a lot of advantage. Still being the vice president, a lot of travels will be done on state resources. Maybe unlike if Allah resigns now and is no longer in government, if he's traveling to war to campaign, if he's traveling to Cape Coast to campaign, he's going to be on his own resources, his own fuel and all those things staying in accommodation, where he goes and all those things, is going to bear the cost. But the vice president, maybe if he's traveling, though we need to separate uh, uh, personal campaign uh, travels and then state-sponsored uh, functional travels. But it is kind of blessed that he can take advantage of uh, state travel opportunities to, to engage in personal uh, campaign functions. So that's why we say he will be vested with that element of incumbency advantage over other colleagues who will be forced to resign and then uh, focus on, on their campaign strategy. And that and the pool of resources that will come at his disposal because he's a vice president can be used in, in a way to further his uh, personal political ambitions. So that one is a kind of uh, advantage to him. But the disadvantage is that he'll be, he'll be engaged. He has to, uh, how, how do you call it, juggle with uh, state uh, responsibility as vice president but also focus on his campaign as a potential uh, flag bearership. But it all depends on strategy. You see, if his campaign team are able to put strategy in place and, and design a campaign strategy that, that doesn't involve him so much all the time, I think they can, they can pull it off.
I, I see. Maybe a final one on this before we move to another matter, which is which is quite interesting in the in the president's in in the in the office of the president's statement on Alan Chamantin. Will this contest come down to the traditional nature of the MPP, where they seek or or they they, they try to reward long service, etc., or you think there's a changing dynamic in the MPP that will give somebody who is just competent? The opportunity to lead them. Now, I don't mind you ran in 2007 on the team Yenimu Frititi. You know, giving credence to the fact that he stayed with the party. He was there from the beginning. He's been there all along. Alan may be seeking to do a similar thing as against the vice president, who many have seen or many say is an outsider because he was just picked from somewhere and made the, the running mate in 2008. What, what, what's your thinking? So, I think the MPP is is uh, ideologically a traditionalist political party. And traditionalist political parties usually uh, have more respect for people who have struggled to build a party. They have that kind of reverence for uh, uh, founders and then uh, people who have made sacrifice so much time to grow the party. And, and people's contribution to the development of the party. And that is why they still incline to that element of Buzia Dumbu Dankwa tradition. You know, that kind of unknowing people who have made sacrifices. So if you look at that kind of chain of command and, and traditionism, people big for their time. And, and people who have suffered so much in the party are usually given that prominence to, to take the first step and then those before him follow. So if you are going to go from that kind of a conceptual uh, uh, a definition of a traditionalist political party, then it means that uh, Alan will definitely command that element of uh, advantage in terms of he being there all this while and he contributing to the founding and also the growth of, of the NPP as a political party. But traditions are not also cast in stones. So you tend to see that if people believe that you, you haven't been long in the party, but you have made a meaningful, impactful contribution to the growth of the party, they can, they can give you the benefit of the doubt. Because this is largely about a, a, a whole concept of a delegates game. And, and delegates, usually, you, if you know how to persuade the delegates and then to sell yourself and to package yourself well, you can convince them. But when it comes to that element of impactful uh, 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 service to the party, you cannot also discount the, the vice president has done a lot from his uh, uh, star witness uh, uh, testimony after the 2012 elections, and he has he has grown to master the game since his first appointment. He has made impactful contribution to the MPP. But even when it comes to that, it is also something that he definitely will have to contest against Alan. Alan has also made a lot of contributions to the party. He has grown sectors that he has been rewarded, he has contributed to the growth of the party, both village and finance and resources. So when it comes to that element of contribution to the party, I think it's going to be something that both candidates will fight for. And I think all the candidates can claim it. Uh, Honorable Ajako, uh, 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 what's his name? What's name? And all the people, candidates, that are putting themselves up. When it comes to that element of uh, uh, contribution to the party, growth of the party, and making self-sacrifices, they, they all have a, a, a stake to claim. So 
what may be the most distinguishing factor is uh, that respect for tradition, how long you have served, and all those things, in addition to making a meaningful contribution. So the candidate that is able to combine both uh, these uh, variables will, will, will stand for in the, in the list and pool of people who, who volunteer themselves up to serve. Very well. The, 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 in the last paragraph of the, the, president's, the, the Office of the President's uh, uh, release, press statement, it says that the president has asked the finance minister, the minister for finance, Kenneth Furata, to act as caretaker minister at the Ministry of Trade and Industry until a substantive appointment is made. This has come as a surprise to a lot of people because many think that Kenneth Furata is actually on his way out because of matters of non-performance, etc. And matters his own party people have raised against him. Now, here we are. Somebody people want out. For various reasons, you know, inclusive or, or uh, inclusive among which is non-performance, because people blame the current economic woes on him, being given an additional responsibility as you know a caretaker minister for trade and industry. How does that hit you? Yeah, so I think a lot of people will be will be surprised that uh, the president has taken that decision. Because of maybe the the context that you have just painted, that even uh, for the first time in the history of the Fourth Republic, MPs of a political party that's in government were demanding the resignation of a of a minister, and in a very bold manner that we have never seen in the Fourth Republic. So, given this context, and then the vote of censure that was a uh, 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 stage in Parliament, and all those things, people would have thought that maybe a different person would have been a uh, appointed to act. But the constitution vests that power solely on the president. So the president determines who 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 he appoints, who he relieves of his position, who he chooses to act at what particular point in time. So the condition has given him the project. And 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 I I suspect that most of the decisions that the president may take may not be popular with everybody. But once it's his prerogative, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, I believe he might have taken a decision like this, he might have consulted. I don't think he just took it uh, uh, upon a thought, but I believe he, has, he might have consulted. And if the people who have consulted believe that it is the right decision for him to take, so be it. And I think people definitely, this will be a subject of uh, a subject of discussion. Uh, it may even, if you can not take it, it may even overshadow the, the entire press release. That, that last paragraph or sentence may even overshadow the entire press release. So I think once the president has the prerogative constitutionally, and I suspect he might have done wider consultation before taking that decision, we, we can reverse it. We just have to debate it and estimate. I, I see. How about people who think that, you know, uh, asking him to act as or to be caretaker minister for trade and industry uh and especially as we we are hearing that like a reshuffle is imminent this could be paving his way to the trace ministry being moved from the finance ministry maybe later on to the trace ministry is that a plausible uh plot i i don't know what the president is thinking to be honest with you and and uh, whatever permutations that he is going to do in terms of appointment, I believe he will, he will do that in consultation with uh, a lot of people. 
uh, individuals and constitutional mandated groups, maybe the Council of uh, State and all those things. If if that is what the president and his advisors decide that he should do, so be it. But I, what, what we should realize is that political decisions have political consequences. And if the president, that's why the president always have advisors. Whatever decision is going to take, he needs to consult widely. Because every decision, especially at that particular level that he finds himself, has a lot of political consequences. And and not just in, in his person as a president, but also the fortunes of the of the party uh, moving into 2024. And I do believe that the president is one of the smartest politicians we've had in this country. He has been in that game for a very long time. So I believe that whatever decision that he makes, is cognizant of the consequence of those decisions. And, and I believe uh, when we begin to face them, maybe uh, uh, Ghanaians will decide. I see. Thank you very much, um, Dr. Ali Dusedu. Thanks so much for speaking to us. He is a political scientist with the University of Ghana, speaking to us on Eyewitness News. A few of your messages uh, that you've been sending to us in respect of this matter. Uh, Joshua Lanyan uh, says, Good evening, Salam. Uh, Kenoforata giving another role as a caretaker minister of trade and industry shows that uh, the president is bent on keeping him in the finance ministry for God knows how long. Uh, keep the good work for Madagana CTFM, you say. Frederick says, good evening, Salam. This additional responsibility to Furata shows we are not serious as a country. Uh, Jerry at Kea says, is the president serious about the citizens or he is only interested in his family and friends? Why should Kenu Furata be given additional an additional role? Uh, this is not good. I can't think for you, say. Um, Yao says um, that the president appointing Kenu Furata to be in charge of the Ministry of Trade clearly proves that he uh, the president has no regard for public opinion, the mood of the country, or even his own party's MPs. Very, very strange individual indeed. Uh, Vincent from Dan Suman uh, says, I'm surprised the most non-performing minister is given additional responsibility. Uh, Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We'll take a short break. Return with more Don't Go Away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. The 365 is now officially available in Ghana. My G, if you the love sports, there's no better way to get a piece of the action. Build your own personalized bet with Bet Builder and select from popular markets on the biggest sports. You fit make multiple selections within a single match. For example, in football, you can choose first goal scorer and both teams to score to create your bet. Charlie, visit the official site at bet365.com.gh. Over 18 sports, terms and conditions apply. Please gamble responsibly. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Yeah, welcome back. Let's now do some other stories. The Colleges of Education Teachers Association of Ghana, CTAC, has resumed its strike today, January 6, 2023. It will be recalled that GTEC in November embarked on an industrial action over their conditions of service. CTAC, in its statement released yesterday, indicated that the Ministry of Finance and Fair Wages and Salaries Commission have not shown any commitment in addressing their concerns 
after a series of engagements. The acting national secretary of the association, Thomas Amponsa, tells City News the resumption of the strike will go ahead despite schools being on vacation. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. So, Thomas Ampoma, who is acting national secretary of the Colleges of Education Teachers Association uh, of Ghana, is joined me on the line for, for more um, insight into why they have decided to resume the strike. Um, hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Uh, why have you decided to resume the strike? I thought things were moving quite well. Government um, or your employers have given you a roadmap. And, and 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 I thought things were moving well. Why have you decided to resume the strike? Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your listeners. Uh, we are resuming the strike in the simple terms because the communique we all signed on the 16th of December 2022 has been breached. The communique contains a promise of two weeks to resolve all the outstanding issues of CICA. We are now ending, today is the third week has gone to an end, no resolution to any single of the outstanding concerns. I, I see. For, for those who have not followed, you know, your, your strike for a while, can you remind us of why exactly you, you went on strike, you know, initially, before you suspended same and now resuming? Thank you very much uh, for this opportunity. I think I have to give that. And we remember CITAC strike has been there last year, January, we were on site. You remember that one too. Last year, we on, went on strike on this same issue. Our conditions of service expired in 2020. Government had to negotiate with us in 2021. We started the negotiations in August 2021. Government said they need a financial mandate to be able to grant some of the things that were being requested. They asked for permission to seek financial mandate in November last uh, 2021. We went, they never came back. So January 2022, we went on site. We all met at the GTEC where the Deputy Minister of Employment, Dr. Bryce Rokubi, asked pay wages to meet Peter immediately to resolve the conditions of service issues. Pay wages never mm -hmm. met us until we sent them to Labor Commission, which also directed for them to meet us. We did everything, and finally, in October 2022, we were supposed to go and sign the MOU to seal off the conditions of service for CITAC, which is effective January 2022. When we went, Government side had unilaterally varied all the things that we have discussed on the table and brought uh, their own personal MOU, giving it to us to sign. And then you say, no, what we have discussed all along, we have all agreed on these terms. We don't understand why you unilaterally vary the terms that we have all agreed. And they gave reason that because of the IMF and other things, what they have agreed to pay or to grant us, they are unable to do it, and they are changing the effective date January 2022 to January 2023. The item they promised or they all agreed to give us, are taking away some of the items, which are generic allowances, which every member of staff is entitled to. 
This is what brought about the strike. So the strike was declared because government unilaterally varied the MOU we were supposed to sign in October. I, I see. So, you know, this strike that you've resumed, what, are students in school or, or the students are on vacation? Yes, the strike is resuming actually effectively on Tuesday. The fact that today, we gave today, uh, yesterday and today as a grace period for them because we met on the 4th, Wednesday, when the minister gave an assurance again that we should give them two days to go back to the finance ministry to see whether they can get whatever is left. We have waited, the day has ended, nothing has come. So it means that effectively, since Monday is a holiday, the strike resumed across all the 46 colleges of education on Tuesday. Yeah, so I'm asking that, are your students on, on, on vacation or they, they, they've resumed, they are in school? In fact, because of our strike, our 2021-2022 academic year did not come to an end. It was truncated. The level 200, the level 300 students were not able to complete their second semester. So after the suspension, the management of the college decided that they should come in January to finish with the second semester of the last academic year. So that from 21st January, they will begin the fresh academic year. So as I speak, the colleges that are affiliated with the University of Education, the students are on campus. They are preparing to write their second semester examination for the last academic year. The University of Echo students will be reporting on Monday to also prepare to write their second semester exam. So this uh, semester we are talking about is a semester that was truncated. They want to complete it before we can even start the 2022 academic calendar. So 2022-2023. So this obviously means that the, the, the students are going to suffer a lot of hardship. And, and, and you don't think that, you know, uh, you should have a way of at least allowing them to go through this time, let them finish at least, so you, you can uh, see if you will be want to resume at the, at, in the next. Because these guys should have finished last year. But because of this same strike, they could not. Here they are hoping to finish by, you know, end of this January, February. Then you've resumed the strike again. The students are poorer for, for your actions. Yes, that is not the, the fault or the, 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 the problem of the uh, association. That is the government side. They have caused that. Because the minister, when he intervened, he told us that he's putting his job on the line that if we suspend the strike within the two weeks, if he's not able to resolve it, we can go back to our site. He said it. We're all there. So if we have, we have granted you two weeks and three weeks, we have even given you an additional one week, and you are not able to resolve a simple matter. My brother, this is not any uh, uh, big thing that we are asking for. You know, the colleges are tertiary institutions. Now, we are supposed to take the same remuneration as the tertiary institution because we have PAD holders, we have MC holders, and the rest here. But they are saying that we are not exactly as the public university. Now, we have all agreed that they should give us their conditions of service, 55% of it, not even 100%. What is sad is that our number is less than 2,000. 
Whether the universities and the polytechnics and whatever, they are over 30,000. They are able to get the 100% of the 55 we are asking for, for those groups. But our number is less than 2,000, my brother, the whole country. 46 colleges of education. The staff we are talking about is less than 2,000. If they can get uh, uh, money to pay for 25,000 people, 100%, not ours is just 55. They say, no, there's no money. So that is very surprising. And what is claiming us is that from 2017 to 2020, our condition of service that we signed, government never implemented it. They throw it away. When they, uh, we send them to the Labor Commission, they finally pleaded that we should uh, forgo that one. They give us a compensation for 2021. And in 2021, they paid that compensation, hoping that at the end of 2021, our new condition of service will be, ready, will be implemented in January 2022. Now we have finished everything, going to sign off. You come back and change all the terms that we have done. Meanwhile, the rules of engagement says that Every item that we negotiate should be mutually agreed. No one party has the power to determine anything on the table. But now we are saying that whether we like it or not, January 2023 should be the effective date. That cannot happen anyway. I see. Thank you very much, uh, Thomas. I'm Puma, acting National Secretary of the Colleges of Education Teachers Association of Ghana. Thank you so much for speaking to us on Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News on 97. Point three City FM. We'll take a short break. We'll return with City Business News. Don't go away. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Every market movement and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News brought to you by First National Bank and powered by citybusinessnews.com. I am Nashika Caesar. Let's settle for the details. The Ghana Union of Traders Association, Guta, has described the resignation of the Trade and Industry Minister, Alan Chomatin, as a big blow to the sector. Mr. Chomatin is reported to have stepped down from his post. And although it is, un- it is unclear why the minister resigned after serving in the portfolio since 2017, it is believed that he took the decision to enable him properly focus on his presidential ambition. Speaking to City Business News, the president of Guta, Dr. Joseph Obin, lauded Mr. Chomating for his efforts at enhancing trade in the country. For us, we've lost a, a great minister. We've bond to so much with this minister. We've worked with him for two conservative times and we've endured He's endured himself with the trading community. We wish him well in wherever he wants to go. He is a great asset to us and even to the whole Ghana as a nation and beyond. Because if you look at the work that he has done at the trade ministry, for us, the trading community, we've worked with him on two conservative times. And all these times, we have been able to work with him to the issues of trading and his diplomacy. The way um, he managed to calm us down, if you look at the continental free trade area, um, I mean, there's no one 
that can surpass the role that he played. And um, for this uh, model of a program that is going to start Africa into another level. And so Forensi is a great asset. That was President of the Ghana Union of Traders Association, Guta, Dr. Joseph Obin. Moving on, the liquefied petroleum gas LPG Marketed Association of Ghana have stated that the bulk oil companies, BDCs, are responsible for the price of LPG remaining nearly the same as that of the last pricing window. The cost of petrol and diesel went down by about 8% at the pumps beginning this week. However, that of LPG remained the same despite the price of the commodity falling on the world market and also the Ghana city improving against the U.S. dollar. Speaking to City Business News, the vice president of the liquefied petroleum gas marketed association of Ghana, Gabriel Kumi, said they cannot be blamed for the high cost of the commodity as they are still buying at a high rate from the BDCs. The LPG price has gone down, but it hasn't gone down as much as uh, petrol and diesel has gone. But you know, the marketer is not to blame when when prices does not go down. We go and buy from the BDs. The BDs are the people who can really reduce the price. We are in a deregulated market, but MPA is always policing our pricing. You have to submit every window. You have to submit the prices you are going to charge for, for the product to MPA, and they are monitoring it. So it's not a matter of we taking an advantage and charging excessive margins. It's the fact that the cost price of the product has not gone down. So there's no way we can go down in price. I've seen Kupek's argument. I was just talking to Dankanamua. I think your anger should be directed at the BDC. Why is that? Because they are the ones selling the product to us. And the base of the pump price is the cost of the product we go to buy. Because there is some fixed taxes that you have to put on it. There are some fixed margins that you have to put on it. So once the base does not go down, there's no way you can go down. If so, between the last window of, of December and this first window of January, the BBC price that it sells the product to us has not gone down. So we cannot go down. If you look, even if you look at petrol and diesel, they both went down, but they didn't go down at the same rate. Mr. Kumi further stated that they want the government to intervene in the pricing of LPG in the country. Any single peswa increase in the price of LPG goes a long way to affect its consumption. Now, currently, the 14.5 kg, that's the average household cylinder, is costing almost 200 cities. How many Ghanaians can afford 200 cities a month? We believe that it's too strong for the ordinary Ghanaian to bear. We as an association have been calling on government to take measures to ensure that the price of LPG comes down. And one of the first measures we believe government can take is to take off the 13% taxes that it has on LPG. Price keep moving up. And this has shot up the pump price to the high that ordinary Ghanaians are not able to, to buy LPG. From 2021 to 2022, LPG consumption in Ghana went went down by about 12%. And it's all as a result of the fact that the price of the product went so high in 2022. In fact, it got to a point when we were buying a kilo of LPG at about 15. And this is the reason why we, we had a dip in consumption. We had a decline in consumption between 2021 and 2022. Gabriel Kumi is the vice president of the Liquefied Petroleum Gas Marketed Association of Ghana. 
Away from that, the Chief Executive Officer, CEO of the Magdan Group of Companies, Daniel Macaulay, is advocating for the implementation of the country's local content framework on local businesses. According to him, a strong local content law for all businesses will create employment and enhance the growth of Ghana's manufacturing sector. He made a call at the maiden edition of the New Year Business Forum organized by his outfit. Well, you see, we have had a very weak local content uh, laws and local content uh, spirit. For me, if you look at, we can go the Nigerian way. You see, we go to Nigeria, local content is very strong. And it's also about time uh, local businessmen supposed to have a big say in policy. And uh, it looks like the whole business community is sitting back watching on uh, to the politicians and government to take decisions for us. I believe that it's also about time we support government. We support government with our resources and our ideas. So for me, we have to strengthen the local uh, content base. That was the CEO of the Magdan Group of Companies, Daniel Macaulay. Finally, the All Palm Developers Association of Ghana says the introduction of producer price for palm oil and other cash crops by government will give a boost to the production chain of the crop. For the first time, the government announced minimum producer prices for oil palm and rubber across the country, with a maiden price for oil palm at about 1250 Petong. President of the Association of Ghana, Samuel Avala, maintains that the producer price will protect local farmers from poor market office. But I'll say that in all, it's one of the good things that has happened to our country. And once the farmers are guaranteed a certain minimum price, they, they will have the energy and the enthusiasm to continue to do their farming. Now, what this will do is to ensure that we have a vibrant sector, a sector that has potential to export, and especially coming on the back of uh, Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. Uh, Ghana, we are are in a zone where oil palm can be produced economically. Others are not, so we can use this as our advantage, urge farmers to invest more, and even those who are not in it to come on board, and then we produce more for both our local consumption and also Uh, our neighboring countries, generating foreign exchange for Ghana, uh, for that matter. You had a president of the Oil Palm Developers Association of Ghana, Samuel Avala. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News, which was powered by citybusinessnews.com and sponsored by First National Bank. My name is Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
welcome back to Eyewitness News, the point blank segment of the program. Tonight on Point Blank, we go to the Kotoka International Airport, where new COVID-19 directives have taken effect. The review of existing COVID-19 protocols was necessitated by the heightened numbers of cases globally. According to the updated guidelines, all passengers arriving from China will be required to present a negative or a valid negative COVID-19 PCR test result 48 hours prior to their departure from the originating country. In addition, such passengers will be required to undergo mandatory COVID-19 testing on arrival at the Kotoka International Airport. And this will be at no cost to them. You recall that the cost of testing for COVID-19 at the airport was a huge matter some months back. This time around, there will be no cost to it. Passengers arriving from countries other than China will be required to present a valid negative COVID-19 PCR test result 48 hours prior to departure from the original country if they are partially vaccinated or unvaccinated. They will also undergo mandatory testing at no cost. In addition to the above, passengers may be randomly selected and offered a test on offered a test on arrival. Airlines have also been warned not to bring in passengers from China who have not been fully vaccinated or without a valid negative COVID-19 PCR test result. So my colleague Enno Safu visited the Kotoka International Airport and she spoke to the Director of Port Health, Dr. Lawrence Latte. On the new directives and, and how his outfit is getting ready to implement the, 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 the new guidelines. Let's listen to her. Please tell me how the new COVID-19 protocols or guidelines have been today. Okay, so um, from September 1st, 2020, the airport was uh, open to international travel right. and uh, human um, traffic. And it's been accompanied with a lot of um, protocols which we've been implementing over the period but quite recently some few hours ago that's um, from 000 hours this morning we started the implementation of the new protocol and prior to that three days four days earlier the idea of um, what was in the protocol had been shared to the airlines um, through the Ghana airports company and from the Ghana health service to the thematic so the airlines have been made aware and they in turn have also passed on the information to travelers. Um, since the implementation so far, um, as we speak today, we've um, attended to 15 airlines. And uh, we are yet to do two more uh, before the evening uh, session starts. That's Brazos and Emirates. We've done Kenya Airways, we've done Rand Air, we've done Qatar Airline, we've done Emirates, we've done Ethiopian Airline, we've done quite a number of airlines. And the passengers, uh, fortunately for us, have been very, very, very cooperative. And remember that prior to this update of the guidelines, persons who were not vaccinated, once they got in, they presented a negative PCR 
48 hours prior to departure. And then um, upon arrival, we were testing them and offering them COVID-19 vaccination, which they were cooperating. What has changed um, this time around is that whether you are vaccinated or unvaccinated, you are still allowed to come into the country with a negative PCR. And upon arrival, you are tested and then um, you are offered a COVID-19 vaccine. This we started in December. And this latest update, the 18th revision of the travel uh, directory, started, let me say, um, early hours of today. Yes, and so far we've uh, managed um, about 1,000 plus passengers and we have um, successfully um, tested 13 of them. And also remember that in the guidelines, based on the global risk assessment that uh, the Ghana Health Service uh, has conducted, uh, it was included in the guide that any passenger um, uh, disembarking from China upon arrival, whether vaccinated or unvaccinated, would have to present a 48-hour negative PCR um, test results. And then upon arrival, we are going to test um, that passenger um, for free. Prior to this, we know it was at a fee, but Ghana Health Service took over um, on the 2nd of January um, this year. And um, the directive is that it's for free. And the passengers have been cooperating um, very well with us. Out of the 13 that we have tested uh, today, none has been uh, negative, uh, positive, but two started their journey from China. And we explained to them and they cooperated well with us. What we do is that we have a team of um, clinical psychologists um, around. So when we have agitated, agitated and aggressive uh, passengers, we fall on them and we counsel them. And the staff has generally been educated and oriented on these new guidelines. And we do a lot of patient management. We also have the customer service um, of the airport company that's also around to, to support in the handling of passengers who may not understand the new protocol. And what we usually um, communicate to them, um, as the president said, way back about two, two and a half years ago, um, as part of the pillars of the COVID response, is to stop and limit the importation of the virus. So all these measures are put in place so that we do not get the infectious pathogen entering into the country. And should anyone um, test positive, we have, the Ghana Health Service has laid down uh, protocols that we follow. Um, previously, we were doing um, hotel and facility isolation mandatorily. But over the period, with the risk assessment and the global um, situation, we've done a uh, move away from uh, the self and uh, the hotel isolation to self-isolation. So for those who test positive, what we do is that we educate them, we triage them. If they are asymptomatic, that is if they don't have any clinical symptoms, headache, cough, general body pains and all, they go on home isolation. But then we link them up to the district of residence. So if you are coming from that Adekotokon, for example, the um, health directorate is made aware that a case like this is within the municipality. And their team will follow up and, and ensure that day by day the, the people are doing um, very well. If you test positive and you are symptomatic, you have headache, cough, chills and all, then we refer you, and in fact we send you to a health facility, designated health um, facilities. And then from there, they take up the clinical management and um, upon the protocol, you are discharged home and subsequent follow-up ensues. So I will say that I have been impressed with the setup, um, especially at the lab, 
um, the portal team um, is also very much um, informed on what to do. The other agencies, Immigration, Customs, the BNI, NACO, Police, they are all on board, national security, to ensure that these protocols are seamlessly um, implemented. And last night, in fact, for the past 48 hours, the Health Promotion Division of the Ghana Health Service, and that responsible for dissemination health information to the general public, local and international, have been very, very active. So if you go up there, you realize that we've developed um, signages that have been pasted around. Uh, the protocols have been simplified into various um, signages. And as the passengers um, walk through the tunnels and various parts of the airport, they get to read and see what is going on. And then there have been jingles that we also developed um, overnight uh, to explain the protocols, give them some hotlines to fall on. And that is also um, going on. We are hoping that it gets to almost every traveler um, around the globe and the media stations will pick them up. The airlines have been informed. We are hoping that they will also announce it when passengers are on board. And so far, I will say that all the stakeholders have been very, very supportive. I remember that the implementation of the um, guidelines are in our three or four phases. One, the traveler, him or herself, has some responsibilities. And before boarding the flight, the flight attendants and the crew also have a responsibility to play. And once they get into the country, the first point of call, which is the Port Health, per the International Health Regulations 2005, is to police the borders of the country and ensure that infectious pathogens, you know, and biological weapons and food do not enter. They also will play their role. And the journey continues to the passenger and leaves the airport. So we are having a lot of collaboration from across um, the agencies, the Ministry of Transport, you know, the Ministry of Health, the Ghana Civil Aviation, Ghana Airports uh, Company Limited, and every relevant stakeholder. They are putting in their best to ensure that um, this uh, new directive is implemented seamlessly. You mentioned that um, um, those who are asymptomatic are um, quarantined in their homes. For yes, how do we ensure that they do stay in their homes and do not go gallivanting about? Uh, I think it, it's all based on um, self-awareness and understanding of the risks that one poses to family, friends, and neighbors if you are positive. So we count on goodwill, but beyond the goodwill, like I said. There's a lot of education that goes on. So, for example, every morning, we'll have to reach out to you by phone, look at your location, and ensure that you are confined within that space. And as, as far as I'm concerned, most of them have complied. You know, the fear of transmitting infection to children, spouses, relatives, and all, is also in the minds of these persons that may test positive. So there's some self-compliance. So we've not had to use the whip to, to put people in order. And we count on that goodwill and the district health directory system that we have in our communities also are in close contact and close communication with this and um, persons and so far it's been okay occasionally when we see that maybe um, a positive uh, person is trying to flout the regulations we have other um, uh, protocols that we invoke and so far it's been it's been very good So we had the director of Port Health at the Kotoka International Airport, Dr. Lawrence Lati, in that conversation with my colleague Eno Safu. Let's speak to uh, Dr. Peter Kwashi uh, on Point Blank tonight, uh, who is a senior research fellow and head of COVID-19 projects at the West African Center for Cell Biology 
and infectious pathogens. Um, hello, good evening, Doc. Um, welcome to the program. Good evening, Salom, and good evening to your listeners. Yes. So, where 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 are we in 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 our COVID fight? Um, are we at a place where we can say that Ghana largely is safe and we've dealt with the disease, or we 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 should be or we should be worried, given that we've opened the ports, at least the airports, to to travelers from China and other places, and we know that China is actually reeling under severe infections uh, of, of new variants of 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 the of the virus where are we and what should we be, be be concerned about now um in terms of where are we i think we are um in the point as a country where we've had sufficient exposure to the virus on a population level that there's some level of uh immunity or um where we, I don't think, I think the new measures that have been put in place are what we would call an abundance of caution. Uh, if you look at the reports surrounding even this uh, new variant from China, there's no evidence that it, it causes much more severity. It's much more transmissible. And in terms of um, whether it's in-country yet, we haven't detected it yet. Uh, we know that it was a recombination between two sub-variants of Omicron, which we have separately detected before. But really, I don't think it's, there's any cause for concern. Um, it's good that the Ghana Health Service is getting ahead of this and um, modifying the protocol so that if in case we start seeing people coming in with this, we can flag it quickly and deal with it. But currently, as far as I know, and I just spoke to somebody today who uh, is in charge of one of the treatment centers, as far as I know, there are no uh, people rushing to get treated. And there are no people, there's no problem with COVID right now in Ghana. I see. So as we speak, what what, what will be the predominant um, variant in Ghana? I, I know it mutates a lot, but what what was the last you know variant that we isolated in Ghana and 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 which one we, is predominant? On spot, yeah, I'd have to go back and look at my report. Okay, okay, I okay. Mean, the one that the the one that was predominant has been predominating, I would say, since uh, May of last year, and that we were seeing a lot of uh, sub variants for was actually BA four. So BA2, which is the one that caused a lot of problems around the world, we didn't really see a large amount of it in Ghana. So since May, when we had a spike and then it, it sort of tapered off, it was mostly related to BA4. I, I see. It, it, it appears this COVID thing, of course, we, we in Ghana, we've not reached where we should be alarmed, as you say. But it appears that we, we, we normally get into a situation where we think that uh, we, we've had a handle over it, and then we see it going up again from from yeah. Europe and then from China and other places. Then once they keep going up in those areas, it, it's quite indicative that we're, we're also going to see a surge in, in our numbers. What really should we be doing? Many people have been vaccinated, but we are told that we should go for boosters, and even those who have been vaccinated equally get infected. What, what, what should we be doing? 
Yes, so the, I mean, the evidence strongly supports that being vaccinated, while it does not prevent you from being infected, it protects you from severe disease. And what we are seeing in Ghana is that even when Omicron came and places were all overwhelmed, because we've already, in the first three or four waves, we've already, most of the population have been infected or exposed at least once. And that has given us some level of protection. And we can infer this based on the now the low levels of um, symptomatic disease that we see. So I, I really think that, from my opinion, looking at the data, looking at the experience of COVID over this last three years, that we really have nothing to worry about as a country. It's the variants, you know, viral evolution goes in such a way that the virus does not want to be deadly because when it's deadly, it can't spread. And so if usually you go to more infectious and you can spread faster. But because particularly during Omicron, it spreads so fast and so quickly that uh, in the when we were doing our surveys, we got to around 90 percent of people in Ghana had been exposed. So what that means is that most people have some level of protection. I'm not saying that they are immune. I'm saying most people have some level of protection. So these uh, things that are, have been put in place is from an abundance of caution. And I think it will, if there's a sudden influx of people coming in who are positive with this virus, we'll pick them up and it's unlikely that they'll come into the population. Even if some manage to make it through the population, I do not expect that we are going to see what we saw during the alpha and the delta waves. That is my, uh, unless if something changes, but currently there's nothing that looks like we are going to see anything like that. We have to remember that in China, China, because of their zero COVID policy, they were never um, able to build population exposure. So once you had new variants coming in, then their immune systems started going crazy. And then the production of new variants even accelerates. Even in Europe, because of um, the exposure levels were not as high as in our situation, but in their case, the severity levels were much higher. So as a population, people in Europe were not as exposed. If you look at uh, data on seroprevalence in Europe, it's around 5 to 15%. If you look at in Ghana and all across Africa, it's very, very high. So that is actually what is uh, saving us. All right. Uh, I'm so grateful. Thanks so much, Dr. Peter Kwashi, Senior Research Fellow uh, who heads the COVID-19 projects at the West African Center for Cell Biology and Infectious Pathogens. Thanks so much for speaking to us on Point Blank on Eyewitness News. So this is how we draw uh, the curtain down on Point Blank and Eyewitness News for today. And this week's show uh, has been produced by Beverly in London. Earlier you heard Nashika Caesar uh, production or technical assistance has been given by Daniel Squashi. My name is Salom Adunu. Uh, I wish you the very best of the weekend. Stay tuned. Uh, Sports Panorama is up next. Don't go away.
City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City973. City 97.3. Accra. World Cup finish, but action still did. Better minimum of 10 Ghana CDs.